Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Trades Talk. Today, we're going to be interviewing the one and only Maggie Wymore, my co-host to Trades Talk and someone who's been very pivotal in the industry and obviously in getting this show up and running. So, Maggie, are you ready to jump in? I don't know. I mean, ever since we released your episode, I knew this day was coming and I'm excited about it, right? But at the same time, I'm like, there's certain things I've kept hidden for a while and they've been better kept hidden, but they're going to come out today. So yeah, I'm ready for it. Let's go. Awesome. So we get to hear so much about our guests and we've had the pleasure of talking with some amazing people in our industry. And you guys have had a chance to learn about me a little bit in my episode and learn a little bit about Maggie tip nibbits here and there. But today we're really going to dive into the history, the story, and there's some really cool stuff. As we were preparing for today's show, I was actually surprised with some of the growth that she has had, not only in her career, but just in Aspire in general, the, the building of the sales team and everything else. So Maggie, I think a great place to start would be, let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk about going into college, what you were studying and how you got into the industry to begin with. Yeah, I think it actually starts before college. Back when I was in middle school, actually, I became really good friends with my still now best friend, Autumn. She and I just became really close. Her parents actually owned a landscape company and garden center. And I've always been that type of person. I'd like to make my own money. I like to prove my own value. So I was 13 years old and I started working at her parents' garden center. I'm on the weekends and I was watering flowers and helping people at the register and just doing very simple tasks. But I don't think I realized at that moment, like how pivotal that career would, or that I should say, what's my career, that job (laughs) would be to shaping my career. How much were you making back then? Do you remember? It was definitely like $8.50 an hour. It was was less than 10. Yeah. It was literally enough so I could not ask my parents if I wanted to go to subway after school and get a sandwich or something like that. It was literally just like my independent money, but I mean, it wasn't anything to pay bills. And I also, it was really nice because it was in the summer and I got tan and was able to go work farmer's markets. And just, I've always been a people person. I get that from my dad, my parents from very early on in my life have instilled this foundation of of hard work and grit. And my boss at the first job, Autumn's mom, um, Teresa Harms, she did the same thing. She would be out there working just as hard with us. So I have to give a lot of credit to who I am today because of those people. My dad's always been the lighthearted one. My whole family's been in the medical field. So my sister's a nurse. My mother was a nurse and a vice president of a hospital. My dad was a physical therapist. And here I was like going to work with plants and talk to plants because people talk back, plants don't. So, (laughs) And give us a little context. Where is this? Where did you grow up? Yeah, for sure. I grew up in the Chicagoland area. So it's say Chicagoland, we're about an hour and a half Northwest of Chicago. So go Cubs go. I will always live and die by my (laughs) Chicago Cubs, even though now I'm married to a Cardinals fan. Everyone has their flaws, but yeah, I was in the Chicagoland (laughs) area, born and raised, same house till I was 27 years old, lived in a small town outside of Chicago. When I went away to college, I actually decided to pursue a degree in mechanical engineering at University of Illinois, which is kind of central Illinois in the middle of the cornfields. And the reason I chose to do this was because I love math. I love science. I was good at those things. And when you're 17, 18 years old, you just kind of jump into this college life based on what you know you're good at not necessarily what you like to do. You know, it was safe at the time, right? Right. My dad was kind of putting it in my mind. He, he was super successful. He's like, this is a career that could make lots of money. You know, this is where you yeah. should go. Engineering, there's more and more ramping need for engineers. This is right 2006 time, time frame when things were starting to pick up in the engineering world. He had a lot of connections in that space. So it was kind of just where I was told to go. Fast forward two and a half years in it. I realized that my passion for math and science and how good I was at that was far outshadowed by my passion for people and the need I had for people interaction. And so I made it a, a decision two and a half years into my mechanical engineering degree to switch my major and I went over to study horticulture. So I actually have a bachelor in science in horticulture 
from the University of Illinois, and I actually have a math minor. So very <laughs> opposite ends of the spectrum there, but it was the best decision I could have ever made. It ultimately led me to have to spend another year in college. But again, the one year in college has added so much to who I am today and ultimately made me so much happier. I didn't see myself sitting in a room with a bunch of engineers at computers all day that will come back in my story where I'm currently at. (laughs) Yeah. It just, I needed to be around people and engineering wasn't going to allow me to do that. How was that decision? I mean, when you're halfway through college, the idea of changing your direction, adding more schooling, adding another year, was that an easy decision at the time or looking back on it, was it easy or hard? It was the hardest conversation I've ever had to have with my parents. I was very blessed that I was on scholarship for my first three years of college, but my parents told me they were going to pay for two. And I had to go tell these people that thought they were going to only have to pay for one, um, that they were actually still (laughs) going to have to pay for two. So yeah, it was a hard thing. I was actually surprised. I was expecting to be met with a lot of disappointment. So if you're someone young in your career that's wanting to make a pivot and you're worried about the disappointment that could be possibly met at the announcement of that decision, I challenge you to say that there's actually so much good to come out of it because it talks specifically about my dad, but both my parents were able to see how happy ultimately the decision was going to make me in the long run. And that's all they wanted and that's all they cared about. So it was hard, but it was the right move. And it has actually been the starting point of the career of my dreams where I'm at today. And I could not ask to be in a better spot. So looking back on that decision, that was not only the hardest decision, but one of the most important decisions you've made. And I would argue that as we get older and go into our careers, so much of the success or failure is predicated on our ability to make fast, quick, and good decisions. Yes. It sounds like that was part of your... I mean, you go to college to learn, right? But but sometimes you learn how to study, you learn how to learn, and you learn how to make decisions. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, because now I'm in a leadership position where I have to have challenging conversations like that all the time. And the best way to get good at something is by doing it and doing it again and doing it again, doing it again. So I think that why that conversation sticks out in my mind is so pivotal is because it really brought out this leadership side of me, this ability to stand up for who I am and what I believe in. And allowed me to then get better at having those hard conversations. So Uh, you're in college, you switch up, you get your degree in horticulture mm -hmm. and science and horticulture and a minor in math. Yeah. Bachelor of science in horticulture and a minor in math. Okay. Very weird. The finance people at my company love me for that reason. The year before I graduated, I did an internship at a local company up where I was from. So I was able to work for a company called Acres Group, which is now a Yellowstone company out of the Chicagoland area. And I did a summer internship there. And upon graduation, I actually went back to work for Acres Group full-time. So that was my first job in a commercial landscape company. I was an account manager. I had a portfolio of accounts, managed about 1.2 million in annual maintenance contracts. Acres Group at the time was right around the $38, $40 million mark in total annual revenue. They're a lot larger now, obviously, especially being part of Yellowstone, but big focus and emphasis on snow being in the Chicagoland area. I also want to comment too that I hate to say this such a cliche thing that everything happens for a reason, but I know we talked on your episode that certain things happened that were tough that if you wouldn't have gone through them, they wouldn't have made you who you are and where put right. you where you're at today. Had I stuck it out in engineering and graduated on time and not done my fifth year at University of Illinois, I actually would have never met my husband. And I mean that because I met him in my fifth year of college, just has all come full circle that if I was already working in the professional world, I would have not been living with the person I was living with and and meeting my husband. So you're going to hear about him. Yeah. A lot during my story and in my current role, how he plays a part in that. But I think it's important to understand that there was something bigger going on that I didn't even realize. That's pretty impressive to be able to, again, I keep going back to that decision to stick it out. And even though it may have been what at the time looked at as a slight failure in a way, you 
knew that that was something that you had to pursue and there was something bigger calling you? It was a huge failure. I mean, an engineer, mm-hmm. if you look at the top salaries in, in the world right now, engineers are the ones who make them. And so I was walking away from something to go into a first land. So yeah, it was a huge failure, but we'll get to how it actually turned out to be a blessing. Okay. You're an account manager. You're dealing with snow. You've got a book of business. And I mean, can we talk just for a minute? How was it managing snow as a fresh college grad? (laughs) It's so funny because you get a degree in landscaping and then, oh, by the way, you have to just know how to manage snow. I think one of the reason I excelled in it is because I had great relationships with all of the property managers and facilities that I had in my portfolio. I'm a big relationship person. So I had this portfolio and I would say 1.2 million is actually their maintenance contract revenue. So there was snow revenue on top of that. But the main things that I had to overcome there were we had a very high enhancements goal to our portfolio. So what I mean by that, for those who are kind of newer to the industry or have never really heard of like this whole enhancement to maintenance side of things is... For every $1 that I managed in maintenance portfolio, I had to sell 70 cents to an enhancements. So on a $1.2 million target, I had to sell close to 850K in enhancements every single year. And so I wouldn't have been able to do that without having great relationships and being able to identify problems and all of that. So while snow was a huge part of the revenue of the organization, my focus was keeping the relationship steady I mean, snow was inevitable. That's going to happen regardless. But if how I handled and managed those snow portfolios and their maintenance portfolios ultimately led to the success and the enhancement side of things. Right. But it all kind of came back to relationships is what I'm hearing. When we talk about enhancement sales, how much of that were you doing reactionary? Hey, we had a tree fall down or I need color put in versus how much were you going out and let's just say pitching proactive to the client as a percentage of your total sales? Yeah, I would say about 75% of it was proactive and 25% was reactive. The one thing I preach, and even when I was being as an implementer of Aspire, I was preaching was the use of a client budget. And that was a trick that I used during my time managing portfolio is I was able to present my clients with, here's our budget. Here's all the things that came up suddenly last year. So let's set aside this much budget for things that might come up. But ultimately, here's the stuff that is going to improve your property throughout the year that we already can foresee having to pay for. And so sitting down and really having a budget review conversation with your clients helped me paint the picture. It also got bored by it. When you're proposing something, you didn't have to go back to the board and wait on board approval. It was already kind of pre-approved, pre-in their mind. And then I would send out, we call them like site audits in Aspire, but essentially like property review every single month through the board of directors, showing them pictures of what I was doing on their property, things I was seeing, their crew working. And I would customize it for every single one of my properties. So they knew that I had eyes on it and they didn't have to worry about it. Just gained rapport for when I came back to them and said, Hey, it's time to do this part of the budget. They're like, yep, no problem. We trust you go with it. Yeah. That's good advice too. I think the big takeaway there is the 75% proactive. So if you're not actively out giving your clients budgets, side audits and proposing solutions and upgrades, then you're leaving 75% of enhancement dollars on the table. And those are the highest margin dollars of any company, I think. Oh, right? yeah. The proactive well, it's, on, it's not only by like budget and sales on the table, you're ultimately screwing over other people in your organization. We had a centralized purchasing system at Acres Group. If I didn't have my stuff signed off on so that my purchaser could order ahead of time, the whole system didn't work. So it was my yeah. job and my responsibility to be proactive communicating with my clients not waiting till it's middle of spring and them saying, I want flowers. Well, now we have to go find and source flowers. We could have pre-ordered them, pre-grew them back in January if I was proactive in getting them out there. So I think not only does it set myself up for success, set up the sales, set up my client, but my coworkers, I had to keep thinking of them so they could forecast out planning for jobs and getting material. I want to dive into that for a minute. And we got to get back to the story because there's a lot in there, but 
when we talk about looking out for coworkers, you're kind of alluding to the idea of having a positive culture in a company and an idea of team togetherness and working as a group to accomplish more than what one person can do on their own. And also, I want to say, I never really knew this side of you when we were doing our sales process. I just saw you as a Spire salesperson and (laughs) not like you knew what we went through every day. It's like, oh no, you don't know, Maggie. You don't know how hard it is to go and sell to these clients. I'm sure you get that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, I would try to tell my story in the beginning. I don't think you maybe knew, but Shane definitely knew because he was the one in the thick of it with me. Because I always tried to build rapport with people by relating to them in some way. But yeah, (laughs) it's something that Aspire does uniquely as we try to hire as many people from the industry as possible so that we can understand challenges and meet those challenges. Totally agree. And you guys do a great job at that. So as you're a early 20s and you're thinking of team togetherness and doing things ahead of time for other people's benefit, and obviously for your client's benefit, where did that come from? I don't know if that's an inherent trait that you have. I don't think many people have that trait today. Mm-hmm. So where did that come from? Was it something that you learned in your childhood, college, or is it something that is taught, learned, or just it's there? Well, let's just say, I think part of it is just who I am as a person, but I think a big piece of it is seeing both good and bad culture at complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And I wouldn't say that the environment that I was working in while I was an account manager was the best environment that I've seen. There was a lot of things going on as a young employee that I was seeing that just didn't really fit who I was as a person, comments being made, people just looking out for themselves. And it, for me, it took me a little bit, right? Because I'm out of college. I'm grateful to have a job. I mean, it was a yeah. big company. I had health insurance. I had all of these things that everyone dreams about. I was able to buy my first house. But then as I got more and more ingrained in it, there was just too many red flags to who I was as a person and that I just had to remove myself from that situation. So I think looking back on it, it was the best experience for me because it added to who I am today, but it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. I was definitely working in some tough situations and working for some people who didn't see putting others first and putting their team first as a top priority. Right. Yeah. That could be, well, it sounds like that could be challenging, but also eye-opening because it was in conflict with your own personal values. Yes, very much so. There's also this idea of being a young, ambitious female in a very male-dominated industry. And I know we have talked about this in the past, but it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart. And make the joke that when I was selling Aspire, I would meet with these companies, yours being one of them, and there would be a group of men and then one really strong office admin that was a female. I think that's changing. Actually, I know for a fact that that's changing as our generation comes up, but that was the environment that I was entering the landscape world into is a very heavily dominated boomer generation, male authority figure industry. And so I want to say that the first off, I want to say there's nothing wrong with that, right? There was tons of success there, but as someone who didn't fit that mold, it was a little bit interesting to navigate where I was going to go in my career. Okay. So you're at the Mm -hmm. landscape company that you're working at acres group and you're Mm -hmm. deciding it's time for a change. Mm -hmm. How many years were you there? I was there four years. And one of the big things that actually led to the change, I don't want to skip over this is I got married. I was engaged getting married and I had to look at my life as a whole I'm not now just responsible for myself, but I'm responsible for my husband and future kids who are now real kids. And I said, I do not want to live where I'm currently living in the state that I'm currently living through my whole life. Like I knew what my parents' future was for retirement. And so I made the decision that I would like to find a career that would allow me to relocate to a different state. And so I actually started looking around. I interviewed for a job and took a job for a short time at a pest control company called McLeod Services. Okay. It was a great company, great family-owned business, had a lot of the good core values that you, you'd want in a company, but it was very much so my first hardcore sales career. So that's where I really, truly 
learned the grid of sales. I was pounding phones day in, day out. The good thing is I could speak the language because pest control falls very much so in line with landscaping, right? It's a lot of just similar type of people, but I was selling services to food manufacturing facilities and all these different businesses. B2B on that pest control sales side, okay. Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. I think is way harder is B2B than business to client or yeah, yeah, B2C. Yeah, yeah, B2C. Yeah, it was very interesting and trying to get in, but also it taught me so much about the grit, the grind, be grateful for every conversation, how to draw people in. It's truly where I learned the fundamentals of being a good sales professional. So you were cold calling. Cold calling. 100 calls a day. 100 calls. Okay. And for everyone listening who's complaining about having to do 25 cold calls a week, and I may or may not be talking to some of my salespeople, 100 calls a day. 100 calls a day. 100 calls a day. We had to send out a minimum five contracts. And then we aimed for like two meetings per day. So on top of all this, we were not only fostering the beginning of the sales process, but we were taking it all the way through to contracting. I have to say, you're going to hear a reoccurring theme throughout my story is like, I just had the relationships that I was able to build throughout it. I cannot say enough good things about my business development manager who I worked for at that job. He has taught me so much about who to be, how to act, what to do in my current role. I still keep in touch with him. And he actually is the director of business development for a staffing company. The things that I learned from him were so valuable to taking my career to where it's at today. So, And can I ask a question on that? On your BD manager at that point, was his job strictly a sales manager, a BD manager? Did he have other responsibilities in the company at that time, if you recall? No, he was 100% a BD manager. He had probably 10 salespeople that reported to him, but 100% job was to manage us sellers. And occasionally he would run his own sales cycle and stuff, but I will yeah. say he did get promoted within. So he was a seller there, did very, very well and got promoted within. Okay. And that's a story you hear a lot of you promote your best salesperson to sales manager and now your sales fall. But yeah. it sounds like it worked for them. It worked. Yeah, it definitely worked. And it also allowed me to move to where I'm at located today. So that with that company, I actually moved to St. Louis and started okay. taking over the St. Louis market. And then there was some restructuring and some things going on. So about six months after I moved down here, I found myself out of a job. I was building a house with my husband and I had to find something quick. And what I knew best and what I loved best was the landscape industry. So I found Delco Enterprises in Chesterfield, Missouri. And talk about another life-changing moment. I met Kelly Dell, who we had on earlier. I think she was episode two or three. That relationship I built with her completely, again, changed my life. So Dalco Enterprises, $3 million residential company in St. Louis area, focuses on high-end residential maintenance. I came in to basically run sales, to work on sales, run sales alongside Kelly. And I was there for three, four years as well. Just a great place to take my next step of my career. I finally felt like I had a family. I felt home. It was a great move for me mentally And I was back to the grassroots of doing what I love to do. So that happened in 2015. Okay. All right. So what was your position there? I started as a sales associate, but I moved into sales management there. So kind of just all sales again. Sales, yeah. Was it outbound sales? Were you handling phone calls that came in and hot leads? Or what was kind of your specific sales process? Yeah, it was all of it. So I had to prospect my own leads. I handled inbound leads as well. The one thing, they had a very high level of inbound lead generation there. So I didn't have to do as much outbound. But again, going from a position previously where I was making 100 calls a day, it just came naturally to me to continue to outbound prospects. Quick question on that. High-end residential is a very difficult market to do outbound sales in. So difficult. For someone who is in that industry, usually it's referral-based, What were some of the techniques or strategies you used to outbound prospect when we're talking high-end residential? So the one thing that, and this might be unique to the St. Louis area, I don't think it is, but the one strategy I took was I wanted to get, like you said, one or two houses within a neighborhood. And then I wanted to get the neighborhood contract. 
and then Mm -hmm. be able to give every single house in that neighborhood a kind of a break price because we were able to service the neighborhood and not have a lot of drive time and all of that. So referrals were very big. And then using what I knew from my time in Acres to get into the HOA management, the HOA common ground isn't huge here. We're in like kind of the rolling hills. So there's not a lot of maintenance to do for the HOA. But if you were able to say you were the landscaper for the HOA, but that your niche was high-end residential, you would get some of the big lot homes within that HOA. Yeah. So, and then referrals, like I always took care of my clients. I still do to this day. And just being that reliable phone call that they know you're going to answer when they call that and that group, I'm helping grow. Like, who can I help with? I also went to church within the area that I service. So I met a lot of people just networking through my church and growing through that way. And yeah, I'm a big networker. I always like to meet people and talk to people. So it kind of comes naturally. Yeah. For those who see Maggie at conferences, I always see you talking to new people and and just walking (laughs) up and making connections. So that sounds like it's helped you get to where you are. Yes. And my husband actually hates it because he knows it takes forever to get out of places because I'm going to always be talking to someone, but oh well. My wife can definitely relate to that. Give us an hour to get out of wherever we are because we're going to have a lot of stops on the way. Yeah, for sure. You're working as a sales manager and kind of overseeing the sales of this landscape company, high-end residential, mostly, it sounds like mostly service-based in this time, right? Yes, yes, yes. It was interesting. The first year there, we actually didn't get our H2B labor. And so we had to navigate through a lot of challenges that Kelly actually talked about that on her episode. So we had to navigate just how do we market it to employees versus marketing to because we couldn't grow our portfolio at the time. So I was a salesperson who was told not to sell. It helped me learn a lot of challenges. And it's so funny because it gave me all of the stories that I can tell and relate to people throughout the nation when I'm talking about Aspire today, because everyone has their own unique challenge at different points. Like some people it's labor. Other people have no labor problems. And some people it's water. (laughs) Other people have no water problems. So it's really interesting to be able to just relate. And that's, again, why we started this podcast is just to grow and hear these stories and learn from them even more. But yeah, that's kind of where where I was at. I was at Delco and I knew there was more for me. I knew there was more to be had from who I was as a professional. I will always say Maurice Style and Delco, like they'll always be home to me. I still go back and visit, but I knew that I wasn't going to get anywhere else higher in the company and unless I owned the company and that wasn't going to happen. So I decided actually right after I had my first child. So for those of you don't know who haven't heard, I am a full-time working mom of three. So I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I had my first child in August. And when I went back to work at Delco, I just knew that I needed to do more. I needed more because now I had not only myself, my husband, but I had this new life to provide for. And I saw a job posting for Aspire and it actually had a very recognizable name attached to it, Brian Moores. And I applied to come work at Aspire. What year is this? That was 2017. Awesome. Here we are. We've arrived. Here we are. (laughs) So... Starting off at Aspire, 2017, smaller company than it is today. Roughly, how many employees was it? You could say it was a little smaller. Yeah, I was the 23rd employee on the payroll. So very small. I started my career there in Aspire Care. So answering the daily questions that come in, answering the phones from existing clients. And we always do a client count. So we see how many... Like every single new client that comes on Aspire gets a system number assigned to them. And I think the system number we were on at the time I got hired was like 53. So we've had a handful, I would say a handful of clients running on Aspire that we were supporting myself and another girl, Megan Sivkovich at the time. Now Megan Forbes, we're supporting this small group of clients and the questions that they needed answered. I loved it. It was the best thing that could have happened. I got to talk to landscapers all over the world. Like I got all the world, all over the country. I wish all over the world, but maybe some um, in Canada, right? Yeah. Canada, Mexico. Actually have some in the Caribbean now. And it was so fun. It was literally like, I got to do talk about the things that I love to talk about, 
but I didn't have to hear from Susie homeowner that we made skids in her yard because we mowed when it was too wet out. So it was so awesome. So now you're on the service side, still service-based, but now you're servicing landscape companies, which you've been in the thick of for the last previous 10, 15 years. What was the culture like at Aspire when you joined? It was exactly like it is today. And I laugh when I say that because for reference, 23rd employee at the time, Aspire now has over 700 employees. So pretty vast difference in growth there. But I would say every single person would look out for each other. We would help each other out. We would joke, we would have fun and we'd support each other. I never once got looked at weird if I had to go take my kid to a doctor's appointment. Everyone was like each other's biggest cheerleaders. And I think that the number one thing that defined the culture there that is so critical is that every single person was trying to forward think and innovate to make things better. We were not okay with being status quo. We wanted to constantly be better every single day. I think that it is the reason Aspire is so successful. I 100% agree. The idea of having an entire company focused on innovation, getting better, growing, really, it's the startup mindset, the startup mentality that you have to have when you're a small, nimble, aggressive company trying to take over a big market. The question I have is, have you and Aspire maintained this innovative, get better startup mentality over the last six years as you've grown from 23 employees to where you are now? Yeah, I think there's a big piece of it. And it's just the fundamentals that Mark Tipton and Kevin Kehoe put into place right away. Mark, I mean, he comes in the office every single day. He has since I started there as employee 23. And now with 700 people, he still comes to the office every single day. He cares about his people gets to know them. He wants to understand the struggles. And I think one of the biggest things with him is his integrity. And he looks for integrity in every single person that comes to that company. And he's hired managers and promoted managers that understand how much integrity and core values and how important those are to him. So when we look to hire, I think that building a culture when you grow so fast, when you look to hire, some companies look to hire based on experience. I mean, our job descriptions, I actually was just working on one earlier today. Our job descriptions don't say have to have X amount of experience doing this sort of role. Okay, And I think that's because we're not necessarily looking for people with who are going to bring all these ideas and and different things into the company from their previous experience. We want people who want to grow with us and learn with us. That doesn't mean like we can't put someone who's got done English their whole life on computer programming. Like we can't do that, but (laughs) there's a limit to it. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean by it is that we want to know who you are as a person first and what's important for you in your growth and your career, like where you want to be. And then we develop your skills second. Is it a will thing or is it a skill thing? Aspire will hire on will over skill any day. Yeah. And I think that shows in your culture and the people I meet that work at Aspire, that mindset of getting things done and improving and being the go-to solution as well for a landscape company struggling with any kind of problem, whether it's software related or culture related. I feel like your team has stepped up in a lot of ways to provide education and training and setting the example. Yeah, I think our name means so much to us and we're never going to anything we can do to protect our name and the value of our name is so important. Like every single call we have, we talk about our clients. What are our clients' struggles that they're facing? What are we hearing from our clients? We actually bring our clients in to plan with us. And I'm going to put this back to you. I mean, you guys have a great culture too. What do you look at? I mean, do you plan with your clients? How do you hire? Tell me a little bit about that. There's a lot to that. First, being a partner with your clients goes so far. And we talk a lot about EOS, right? We had Greg on right. just a couple of weeks ago. And EOS is one of those fundamental business operating systems that so many people use today. And when you can introduce that to a client and utilize an L10 format in a client meeting and show them, here are the issues we see with the property. Here are some headlines we have that happened over the last month. 
And here are some to-dos that we are going to do, but also here are some to-dos we need you to do. We need to get an answer back on this irrigation infrastructure improvement. We need to get an answer back on the spring turn on color. And we need that answer back by February 15th so we can order. I think that partnership and actually providing your client with more than just the service, it's providing the client with a playbook to be successful. We've seen some of our clients actually take and I'm talking more like B2B type clients, right? Take our core values and our system and our EOS fundamentals and implement it into their business, into their warehouse or into their hospitality business, whether it be a hotel or a restaurant. And when you can get that type of penetration in terms of culture and it goes beyond what the service you're providing, that is where you get clients for life. Now, talking from an employee standpoint, for me, it's so much about vision. And sharing that vision with your clients, but a lot of about sharing the mm-hmm. vision with your employees. Because to be innovative, to be better, to be aggressive and growth-minded, you have to know where you're going. When we go back to the company you worked for and you didn't get that H2B labor, and now you're being a salesperson told not to sell, how does that inspire innovation and getting better and growing? It does the opposite, right? Right. Wow. There's so much to unpack there. First, the recurring <laughs> theme that I heard was communication, right? And like communicating with your clients so that they understood your business better. Communicating with your team so they understand your vision. I am going to push back a little bit on that. Like in order to innovate and to think creatively and everything, you have to know where you're going. And I'm going to say, do you? Because Mm. if you only focus on one place that you're going, you could be missing out on other directions you can go as well. So I think that the right amount of communication of the vision is critical because you don't want to give people too much framework because it limits them. It provides this tunnel vision and limits them on being innovated on where else they could go, where else we could take things. Yeah. So basically having a structured vision is good, but having a overly structured vision is going to create a culture where maybe we say no to everything that doesn't fit that vision and we miss on opportunities. I think that's a really good point. Good advice for people when you're creating that vision is have a clear enough path so you have an idea of where you're headed, but don't have such a structured vision that you can't be open-minded to new opportunities. Yeah, for sure. Our fiscal year starts in February, February 1st. So I'm in planning season for next fiscal year. And obviously I included into a lot of details for my team for the next coming year. And I'll get into a little bit about my career at Aspire here in a second, but I'm delicately trying to navigate how much I need to clue in my managers and my individual contributors, what they need to know so that they can help me make decisions without allowing them to see everything, right? Because I need to keep some of that a mystery to help inspire them to take things forward. Does that make sense at all what I'm saying? Yeah, it definitely does. I think you need to provide that inspiration where we're going. I mean, a leader has to deal with a lot of headaches and a lot of challenges. And you can't just be a porous filter for your team and just give them all of the same problems you're dealing with. You have to filter out some of that, provide more of a positive outlook, even though you may be dealing with these massive problems that could potentially negatively impact the future of the company and your team you have to kind of filter out what is the things you want to share. You need to hold as a leader and kind of hold the burden of some of those things. Yeah, that shapes over time too, right? So we talked a little bit about how I started at Aspire and on the care team. And it was just two of us and this rapid growth. So in I worked in the care team implementation. And then in 2019, I actually pivoted over to the sales team. And at the time there was just myself, Kevin Kehoe and Gage, Gage Roberts selling Aspire. And we were selling the best that we can. There was a couple of people who joined the SEALs team shortly after that. But we were trying, we were in this moment of like, okay, we've got our basis going. We've got enough industry clout. It's time to go and really put some boots on the ground and get this thing going. We hired our first business developer and that person's job was to cold call strictly on... We'd literally been growing the Aspire business based on inbound lead generation. We really hadn't been outbound prospecting until 2019. And then about two and a half, three years in sales. That's when I met you, Justin, as when I was 
managing the Western half of the United States, California market, selling into that market, building on referrals. I remember how I earned Justin's business. Funny story. I actually like sought him out at a lawn and landscape tech conference in Orlando. I Gage was there. I was like, go meet this guy. His company's growing. I really think they need Aspire and then kept on them. And through prospecting, good prospecting skills, I ultimately drew him and his brother Shane and to liking me. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I told though, I think that's really important for anyone in their career growth that you have to define where you want to go. And when I made the decision to come into sales, I knew that managing a pipeline and my own book of sales was going to be a short-term thing for me. I knew I wanted to grow my family. I knew that one thing that people don't really know too much about sales who aren't in it every day is there's a lot of ups and downs that really can impact things from your relationships to your financials, to your mental health, like so many different things in sales that are uncomfortable to navigate. And I knew in this season of life I was in, I had one child, I was actually pregnant with my second child, that long-term managing my own sales pipeline was not going to be something I wanted to do. So I told Mark Tipton that, and he was the one who was talking to me. I'm like, Hey, I don't want to do this long-term. So here's what you got for me. Let's look into making a pivot when the time is right. A lot of my story comes along with me having children. I decided to move to Aspire and I had my first. I decided that this is my career path when I had my second. When I had my third child, which was just in 2022, August, at the same time, Aspire was changing our vice president of sales. And our new vice president of sales was coming in. And as him and I started to build a relationship, he asked me, what do I want to do in my life? And I think that's such a good question to ask someone who's not necessarily like young in their career, but young enough in their career is like, what's important for you? Like, what's going to make a difference in your life that's going to make you happy? And I think this is something that we don't ask enough of our young professionals. And it's something that I've built my foundation of management on. Every single person is motivated differently. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by title. Some people are motivated by getting recognized through words. Others are just like to fly under the radar and just be told Mm -hmm. one-to-one. So there's so many other things that I personally am motivated by seeing success in other people. I told that to Jason, my the current VP of sales. I said, I really want to see the success in people and the happiness in people that I feel because I get to go to work for Aspire every single day. And he said, great. I think it's really important that you start to take over the management of our newest salespeople and grow that team and really instill the core values and understanding in that team to get them to the next step in their career. So that led me to where I am today. That's a huge step going from sales and prospecting and closing clients. And most of your conversations are with landscapers and potential clients moving to now, I assume most of your conversations are with employees, right? I never really talked to clients anymore, which was really hard for me to give up. And I did explain that to Jason. I said, I know this piece of the puzzle is going to be hard for me to give up because I grew up in the landscape industry And the part of the reason I love it is because of the people. And so we figured out a way that I don't have to give that up completely. I can still, I guess I'll get to go to shows and still get to network. And I mean, this podcast is one of those ways that I'm doing that because I still need to talk to the people that are important to me. But ultimately I'm focused more inward and making sure that when our prospects and our clients talk to employees that work at Aspire, that they have been built to provide the same level of service and understanding that I provided. That's that multiplication effect where you can take what you know, what you've learned, what you care about and train that and share that with a group of people. So how big is your sales team today? It sounds like when you started 2017, it was one to three, right? Mm -hmm. You and Mm -hmm. Kevin and Gage. How big is it today? Well, I'm happy to report that like Gage and I still work very much so hand in hand. And he has shaped a lot of who I am today and built a lot of the Aspire sales culture. I don't have enough good things to say about him. But right now, the team is about 136 people. And I would say about 80 of that 136 actually fall underneath my part of the organization. I had the highest headcount. 
but they're the younger sellers, right? So they're not dealing with more of the complex conversations. Gage's team is more dealing with the actual selling and demoing of Aspire. But I'm blessed that I get to foster our younger salespeople and teach them everything that I learned starting when I was 13 years old about how hard work pays off to when I was outbound prospecting for the pest control company and making a hundred calls a day and seeing success there all the way through to the relationship side of things and asking for referrals. So I've been lucky enough to take my whole career and now I, I'm essentially a teacher. Like I get to teach people how to be successful doing that. Yeah. And I think for this podcast, that is something we continuously hit on, but we haven't dove totally in and we don't have enough time today to go fully into that. But I definitely want to carve some time to talk about how do you build a sales organization or a sales team is something that we have recently put more attention in and we've seen massive results at K&D by building a sales team. Just like high level notes. I know you're going to BYU for a career day coming up. When someone comes up and says, what is it like working at Aspire? What can I expect in terms of training if I'm going into sales? What do you tell them? What does it look like in their first 90 days? Yeah, I think that the first and most important thing for people to learn when they come to Aspire is why we are successful and like why we are who we are. And so they need to learn the industry. They need to learn the impact of what we do. We literally tell people that work at our organization that we change lives because we believe we do. My very first sale that I made as an account executive working for Aspire, I was a small little landscape company. I should say small, probably a million and a half. And this guy was just getting going. And I was like, Hey, like, I think this will be great for you. It'll free up a lot of your time. He was working in the business. And we find that so often working in the business. Then he signed up for Aspire, went through implementation. I followed up with him probably six months in. And this is a story that always gets me a little emotional, but I said, how are things going? And he said, Maggie, they're going so well that I'm now able to pick my son up from the bus stop. And I was not able to do that in the past. And the impact of like how a software company giving him the visibility to step away from the business to pick his son up from the bus stop, like that is changing lives, in my opinion. As a mom, like that hits home. And so I think that the number one thing that people coming into Aspire from the career fair need to understand is that. Not that they have to drink the Kool-Aid, but they kind of have to drink the Kool-Aid and understand that what we do matters, really, truly matters. And then the next thing they have to understand is that we work in an industry with the most hardworking people in the country. Blue collar industries are tough. You know this. And they are... Especially owner operator type blue collar, you know? And they are emotional. Like every decision for these people is emotional especially when money is involved and family is involved. So I want them to understand that we work equally as hard, if not harder than our clients do. And that's why we're able to provide the experience we provide. And then all of the stuff as far as sales and talk track and training like that, like we can instill that in people. Like what I going back to the, what I said, is it a skill issue or a will issue? I will hire someone with zero skill who has the will. And so that's what I'm looking for when I'm going to these collegiate competitions and recruiting is I really want to find people who understand the value of hard work. Yeah. And coming into a company, I mean, who doesn't want to have a positive impact on their clients? I think there's a lot of people who are out there who feel like they're just punching a time clock and going into work, coming out of work. And they're kind of like in the zombie mode. I think the the root cause of not enjoying what you do is because you're either not connected to the impact your company's having mm-hmm. or your company is just not having an impact on people's lives. And there's right. unfortunately a lot of companies out there who are just kind of stalled out and providing mediocre service, whether it's in the trades or in hospitality or service-based industries. There's just a lot of companies out there that are not innovating, not growing and not improving their impact. Mm-hmm. So when you talk impact, and that emotional story comes out. And I could talk about the impact that K&D, that Aspire has had and how 
this one plus one equals five type of a mentality when you add Mm -hmm. Aspire to a landscape company or a janitorial or any service-based company. It's so much more than financial. Like Financial is like an easy thing to point to, but Mm -hmm. the emotional side, the ability to pick up your kids from the bus stop, the ability to promote people as you grow, the ability to impact other people's lives. I think it's something that we miss in business and we skim over that and we go right to the gross profit. We go right to the turnover percentage and all these other metrics. Like what's your KPI for the impact of your company? I think that's a question that we should all resonate and sit on. Well, you asked me kind of leading into this podcast, how do I define culture or what do I see as important when it comes to culture? And I think it's exactly what you said right there. It's to not miss that, to put that before the KPI, before the number and really look at what's going on in the holistic picture before we just tie it to a number. And if you are able to build a company on those fundamentals first, and I'm thinking back to the Cam and David episode too, like all the little things from part three, like all the little things that they do at their organization to put the people first, people don't leave jobs. They leave managers, they leave people that they work for. And If you are able to focus on taking care of the person first, they're going to work that much harder for you. I can tell you firsthand that I work 10 times harder for Aspire because they've been able to do things like give me time off for my children and maternity leave. And they understand and provide opportunity for me. So like they put my values first. Mark, listen to me when I said, I have a short-term lifespan as a salesperson. I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it really well. And I did do it really well, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do it forever. And he listened to me. And the thing he responded to me with was Maggie, you will always have a job at my company. And that to me like meant the world and made me want to work that much harder. And that's such a great story. And it shows that this whole idea of success in a company is a two-way street. You going to your boss, going to the leader of the company and saying, this is what I want. This is what I need but also your boss sitting there listening to you, being open to that, and then acting on it. Not just Mm -hmm. saying, okay, that's great, Maggie, we'll figure it out, and then goes off to solve the next biggest fire. He actually made that happen and and made sure that the new VP coming in, Jason, knew that that was your track as well and and continued that, which I think as you grow a company, you have to make sure that as you hire people like VPs, you need to make sure that the onboarding of that person includes what are the goals of their team they're going to be managing. So I would imagine you're now carrying on this legacy, this mindset of caring for the person with your team of 80 plus salespeople. Mm -hmm. And that's only going to make your team that much stronger, right? Yeah. I'm going to lead into that because I know you're going to ask me for my trade secret here in a little bit, but it definitely falls in line with that. But I don't think he understood how much that conversation meant to me and has made me the leader that I am today. It's been a great episode, Maggie. I've enjoyed your background. I've enjoyed just talking with you. And I'm excited to dive. Actually, for those listening, we're going to be doing some more of these one-on-one episodes, just Maggie and I talking about sales, talking about industry trends and what's going on. It's been fun. It honestly flew by. I was a little nervous, like I said, in the beginning of being in the hot seat you don't realize how many pieces of your puzzle of your story there are until you really start diving into it. And before we get to the trade secret inside off, I just have to say like, thank you to you, Justin, for our relationship and what you've taught me and what we've been able to build through your partnership with Aspire and our friendship. And then I have to say like, thank you to my husband, because I wouldn't have been able to do any of this and been able to start this podcast or be as successful in my career as I am without him. He's literally texting me right now saying he's going to pick up a sick kid from daycare. And like his support is a big piece of the puzzle of why I'm so happy. So I think that for anyone out there who has a supportive partner or is a working parent or just a difficult home life, I think it's important to make sure that we step away from the business and thank those people for supporting us as well, because I wouldn't be nothing without my husband. That's huge. And I got to spend some time with Nick at the last conference and it was (laughs) awesome. Yeah, no, it was good. It was fun to hear some of the challenges. And I don't want to say you put on a good show. You show up and you're so present, Maggie, in the conversations we have, not only in the podcast, but at the conferences. And as a mom of three and a working mom, like I can't imagine, I don't know, but that can't be an easy thing to do. 
is to show up and be present. But you do an amazing job of that in a time where being present is maybe the biggest gift you can give someone. Yeah. I talked a little bit about this with Lisa on the podcast, but people always ask me, how do you do it all? Right. You're a working mom, three young kids. You manage a team of 80 people. You have a podcast, you do this stuff. And everyone's like, how do you do it all? And I said, I don't because I don't do it all. I have all of these people who support me. I have six managers who hold down the fort for the team that I manage. I have a husband at home who supports me on that end and you supporting me on everything you're doing in the podcast. So I think it's easy to say like, how do you do it all? But it's all about not doing it all and allowing people to help you. Yeah. Being open to help too. I think sometimes we get too proud of, oh no, I need to do this because it shows my team I'm working hard, but you got to let go of certain things and trust other people to help you. And back to you. I mean, we're coming up this episode of launch. Yeah. Like we're coming up any day now on a year since we sat down in what was Mm -hmm. February at grow. Yeah. February in San Antonio. Yeah. We're like, Hey, let's start a podcast. And then here we are a year later, 20 episodes in, and I'm having a blast. It's a little more work, but I'm having a blast. Yeah. I think it's the best decision that we could have made. And just the amount of information and knowledge that we've gotten in just the 20 episodes. I can't wait to see what the next 100 look like. So I know, right? It's in a selfish way. I am learning more than I ever thought I could in terms of doing a podcast. Like I didn't do it to learn it, but man, is that happening? Yep. Okay. So I want to get to it. Trade secret. We do it every episode and I know you have a good one for us. So what is your trade secret for all of our listeners. You want to know what's really funny? I forgot about this until we started recording. I had thought about it in the past, but I was like, oh, I have to come up with something. And I think it's just my philosophy for management and really understanding your employees. And one of the ways that I've been able to do this, so my trade secret is going back to the three Ds. And that's either delegate, do, or disregard. And as managers, we forget a lot of times to classify something that hits our plate into one of those three buckets. And you're either going to do it yourself because it's quick and you can get it off your plate fast or because you enjoy doing it. You're going to delegate it to someone. And usually these are the things that you don't enjoy doing or you don't necessarily have to do. A lot Mm -hmm. of times you're like, oh, I'm going to do things because I can do them better. But do you really have to do them? Probably not. So delegate it or just disregard it. There's so many things and you can learn this very quickly by being a parent who goes on maternity leave. How many important emails aren't so important a week after they're sent, right? So is it looking at something and being like, how relevant is this? Am I making this more important than it should be? And then having this ability to disregard it. I think that is the one skill that managers don't focus on enough. It's just saying no, like it's not important and it's not going to take us to the end goal. I love that. The three D's delegate, do disregard. Great time of the year to do it. Beginning of the year. Here we are. Take your to-do list out and go and line it up. What do you need to do? What do you need to delegate? And most importantly, what do you need to cross off that list? Hey, if it's been on there for more than a month, it's probably not important anymore. No, no. And I'm going to give you a second one because this is super important for me. And it's it's important as we're going into planning season, your word matters and it matters more to your team than anyone. So if you are communicating to your team, make sure that you're going to do what you say and say what you do. And why that's so important is, for example, if you tell a team member, hey, I'm going to help you plan your career out. And then they don't hear from you from a month. They're, they're building their own narrative in their own brain. So give clear, defined answers and communication to your team and live by your word because it truly matters. That's great advice. And I would just add, if you do say something like that, like just take 10 minutes right there to help do it. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Just like say, hey, what are you doing this evening? What are you doing this afternoon or tomorrow morning? Like this thing's very important to them, more important mm-hmm. than it is to you. So just get it done, get it across off the list and give them that satisfaction of, like I said earlier, the gift of being present with them. Yeah, don't leave it open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. You're really good at this, Justin. You get out your calendar and you figure out a time and and place to get things done. So like, yeah, like if you can't do it right in the moment, schedule it so that they at least know when it's going to happen. Live and die by your calendar. 
it's what it is. I say, give me your calendar for the last two weeks and I'll tell you what's important to you. <laughs> Where you put your time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Maggie. That's been a great talk today. I've really enjoyed it and I'm excited for the next one. So yeah. Uh, any last words before we wrap up? No, thanks for having me in the hot seat. I hope people get something out of this episode. And if you ever want to follow up or hear more about my story or what I'm doing with the Aspire sales team, I'm happy to chat. Awesome. Oh, and don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, do all those fun things to keep this podcast going. Yeah. And if you're still listening to this point of the episode, thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> and our only ask, right, is just go share it with a friend, send this to a colleague or a friend or family. And just we just hope that you can share the show. We can grow organically as we continue to spread the word. Yes, for sure. All, all right. right. Thanks, Justin. Have a great day. Thanks, Maggie. Thank you.